Hello everyone and welcome to The Stage Place, the podcast where we here chat to those who work behind the scenes in the theatre industry. So whether a writer, director, producer or designer, anyone and everyone is welcome onto the podcast to talk about the current projects that they are working on across the UK. And on today's episode, I am delighted to be sharing you my interview with Stuart Matthew Price, the music and lyricist behind Before After, which is coming to the Southwark Playhouse from the 7th of February to the 2nd of March, but is also the head organiser for entertainment at Ingleside, situated at Ingleside House in Sirencester, Gloucestershire. I had an amazing chat with Stuart a couple of weeks ago, talking about Before After. I saw the streamed version over lockdown, and it's really exciting to know that it is coming back for live audiences this February through to March at the Southwark Playhouse. Plus, I am very familiar with Siren Sester and Ingleside House, so it was really nice to chat to Stuart a little bit about entertainment at Ingleside, as I also live in Gloucestershire, so it's really nice to be able to talk about something that is quite homegrown in our area. So I really hope that you enjoy this interview with Stuart Matthew Price on episode 134 of The Stagey Place. Hello Stuart and welcome to the stage place today. How are you doing? Hello, um, I'm very well thank you. Thank you for having me on here. Thank you so much for coming on. Stuart, today we are going to talk about two different sides to your life at the moment. Currently you are in charge of the entertainment at Ingleside. This is Ingleside House which is in Sirencester in Gloucestershire but also you are the music and lyricist for Before After which is on at the Southwark Playhouse this February. But Stuart before we get into all of that what I'd love to ask you is how did you get into theatre and the entertainment side of this industry? Well, I guess it all began me when I was about six years old. I was in a car driving, because I live in Portsmouth in the south of the country. My whole family originate from the West Midlands in Bromwich, and I was born in Kidderminster, so in the West Midlands. And my grandparents at the time used to live up in the West Midlands. So as a six-year-old, I was shoved in a car, and we all went up and visited my grandparents. And there was something playing on, on the cassette, and I was like, oh, what is this? Uh, it sounds really, really nice. And my mom says, it's called a musical. And this one's called The Phantom of the Opera. From then on, I was like, oh, what are these musical things? They sound nice. I like them. And I just kept listening and listening and listening and became a huge fan of, of theatre and musicals until I was 16. And I went to the Brit School for Performing Arts in Croydon and then eventually went on to Mountview Academy to do my training in a degree format in musical theatre. And then in 2007, I graduated and went into parade at the Donmar Warehouse. And ever since then, I've been performing, writing, yeah. producing, whatever I can do. That's where it all sort of began, that little car ride. And talk to me a little bit then about the writing of music then, because is that because you were writing stuff that you wanted to sing? Or was it that you were writing stuff because you were thinking of ideas for other people? How did the writing come a part of this whole journey? I had this sort of creative mind of wanting to tell stories, like whether it's simple stories or complex stories that were way beyond the years that I had of experience myself. But I remember it was, I was like 11 years old and I'd been bought a good old Casio keyboard, one of the classics. Yeah. So we're talking about 11, so it's sort of 94, so mid 90s. And I got this Casio keyboard. It's one of those things where you push start 
and it goes cling, ching, 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 and then as you switch the key, it changes the the sort of the chord progression of the song. You hit C, and it's like C major, so it's one of those kind of really dodgy things. And then you maybe add in a. Anyway, I digress. That particular keyboard sort of encouraged me to sort of write basic song structure. As yeah. I was learning it through music GCSE and from there, I always had an ear for music, which my granddad had, which I didn't realize until after he'd passed away, actually. He could sit at a piano, hear something and within two or three minutes play it. And he was missing two fingers on his hand. So like the guy was pretty good. So I feel like I got the sort of musical ear from my granddad. And I just always loved the idea of of writing a song and then suddenly the song had lyrics because I was used to hearing lyrics from the musicals I was listening to and plus my my parents were part of a Christian music group and they wrote their own songs there so I was kind of surrounded by that element and it was only when I sort of got closer to 14 or 15 that I started to want to write a full story and I'd seen so many musicals by that point. So that's kind of where all of that began and why I wanted to do it. Yeah. And obviously here now in 2024, talk to me a little bit then about before, after, where that all came from. Because am I right in thinking, because I'm sure I saw this over lockdown. Was there a streamed version of this show that happened in lockdown? Yes. So before Arthur's sort of story sort of began about 10 years ago, yeah, late 2013, I had released a few years prior to that an, an album of songs with me singing new musical theatre material written by other writers and authors around the world, predominantly America and the UK. Jason Orr Brown, we had um, Stars and Drew, at Scott Allen. It was a really fun album, but I finished that album with one of my songs from a show I was writing at the time, and the song was called Autumn Days. And it was just me and a piano as a, a quote-unquote bonus track. And I got this message in 2013 from Emi Yoshida in Tokyo. And I remember that she had bought my album because, you know, when you post them as an independent artist and you're posting things yourself, you remember if you're sending something to Tokyo. So I remember sending her the album. And so her name seemed familiar. And she basically reached out to me via what was then Twitter. Just said, I know you don't know me. I know it's random. I love your work. I think it was about October 2013. I remember it. I've saved the tweet somewhere. And she said, would you consider writing a full musical? And so I sat with it and I said, well, yes, I've tried to in the past, but I've never finished anything for whatever reasons. And I said, but yes, I'm all up for having a go. And the brief was for this company in Tokyo wanted a two-hander musical where they could rotate the leading actors over a period of time, whether it's a week or monthly. And they just wanted to be a love story with hope at the end. I was working front of house at the London Palladium at the time. And I remember being on the bar and during one of the breaks over the Christmas period, I was just like, what can this be about then? What can I write this for? And I started jotting down some ideas on the literally the back of a pre-order slip. And I just started to write all these ideas down. And I came up with before after, and I liked the concept of having a story being told before something and after something, but chronologically together. I thought that hadn't really been done at that point with a two-hander show, because you had the likes of the last five years where their stories are being told, one from the beginning of the relationship, one from the end, and then they meet in the middle and blah, blah, blah. You have John and Jen, where John is the brother, and then John is the son in the second act. So like, there'd been a few different concepts, but I didn't want to copy those. So I jotted all these ideas down. And then in 2000, 
14, I realized I couldn't write book to save my life. So my then agent connected me with Timothy Natman, who I wrote the show with, and he took the basics of my idea and just went, okay, there's way too much going on. Let's simplify it. Let's structure it more efficiently for the audience and let's work on it together. So we joined forces then. And we then, through the Arts Council funding, managed to put the show on in a concert format with Hadley Fraser and Caroline Sheen at what was then the St. James Theatre Studio, which is now at the other palace. And we put it on there for two or three sold out performances back in 2014. Then the next thing you know, it's opened in Japan and then it runs there on and off for five years. But we could never get the show moved forward in the UK for various different commitments that I had or the logistics of making new musicals happen 10 years ago is a very different landscape to making them happen now, which is fantastic that now we have so many new musicals opening in London, either this year or have opened in London, whether it's West End, Off West End, there seems to be real support plus Birmingham I could go on for hours about the new musical landscape but it wasn't until lockdown happened when Grey Area Theatre and Georgie Rankham they got in touch and said look can we do a streamed version of this show at the Southwark and just to try to create something and put a new musical on all around the world during a time when no one gets to experience theatre. They were a new company, a new team. I just felt, why not? We've got an opportunity here to do something special and different. Maybe it'll pay off, maybe it won't, but you've got to try. So I put my trust in them. They exceeded all expectations. We managed to bring Hadley Fraser back to play Ben for the live stream. And due to all the restrictions and everything in place for COVID at the time, we said, well, would Rosie Cray, his wife, come and play Amy because then they can actually do it closely together and she said yes so they both managed to make it all work and it just sort of felt fortuitous and then it proved to be quite a success for everybody involved and they're very happy and then when the rights came available again to to do something in the UK here we are and Georgie is back directing it and we've now got this Southern Playhouse production which is essentially the premiere production of the show here in the UK so we're thrilled yeah absolutely and did you ever go to Japan did you ever see recordings of the show when when it was over in Japan over those five years I'm guessing they they did change up cast every now and again when it was over there yeah it's a fascinating setup that they have over there I was already signed to go and perform in the Rocky Horror Show around Europe again so when the show opened in that November 2014 I couldn't be there. And so I was like, I can't really come out until next year if you're still running. And they were. So as soon as I finished Rocky Horror in 2015, Tim and I were flown out to Tokyo and neither one of us has ever been to that side of the planet, let alone just Tokyo. (laughs) And Tim and I, to be fair, hadn't met that much in person. We've written together and we, we write remotely a lot of the time and we'll maybe meet for a session or a drink every now and then but on a full being together for five to ten days of just the two of us that hasn't happened yet so uh, it was a, a a real experience for both of us but the shows were fantastic the audiences were enthralled by it from what i've been told the eastern culture do find the western culture very interesting and and such a different cultural setup to what they're used to but there was a lot in our show that was relatable for them. I'm told that 
Japanese people don't always shout and scream and cheer and all of this sort of stuff. You're lucky if you get a tear. They're quite reserved. Probably the nicest people I've ever met, to be honest. And when we were there, they were shouting. They stood up at the end. They, they had tears down their faces. It didn't matter which cast was on either because they rotate every show. It's probably a different couple's. Yeah. rotating through the run, which might only last a week, by the way. So you're talking, they all do two shows, but you, you've got four different casts that have rehearsed it. It was mind-blowing, so exciting, a real privilege to have your work performed anywhere, let alone in another language, in a completely different culture, and for, to be received in that way. And we've had the show recently, until 22 into 23, we had the European premiere in the Netherlands, and they toured. And again, another production, a Dutch production, but with a very different visual take yeah. on the show as well. It's been such a fascinating journey for the piece and for Tim and I to not have it performed in our native country yeah. until now has yeah. been a weird thing, but the most wonderful experience. And now I'm petrified because it's 10 years old and I don't know whether the UK audience will take to it. It's it's more yeah. frightening now to release it. And I'm a bit older and not so, I guess, enthusiastic about my confidence yeah. So I'm not as arrogant as I was 10 years ago, basically. Yeah. It's going to be a really interesting twist in the plot where um, before after's journey is concerned. Yeah, but it is this universal theme, though, isn't it, that goes around, which is why it's probably put on so many places of hope. I guess when it was put on over lockdown, that was something that we were all craving, right? We were all craving this idea of hope. You're talking about an event and like, so for grey area to pick it up, over lockdown and to you know know about it when it's only had at that point i'm guessing it's japan run it's a universal theme which is why it's probably so beloved by so many different countries when you don't expect that perception yeah i think the show is rooted in what if we had a second chance yeah and it's told through a love story between ben and amy they fall in love. We watch in the before part of the story, we see their relationship, how it has a different energy, They're a bit younger and sort of uh, risk takers to an extent. Then you sort of watch how that may or may not sour. I don't want to give too much away. But then you learn in the very first scene that Ben has had an accident and he's lost his memory. He can't remember who he was. He knows basic things yeah. like his name and, and information that exists out there for him. But he, there's a lot that's still blank in his mind and it just hasn't come back in a couple of years. But he meets Amy again. She remembers everything. She knows who he is, knows all their relationship and essentially makes that decision. I want to get to know him again. I want to give him a second chance because he can't remember the before. I wonder if I can help him. I wonder if we'll have a better relationship with all the knowledge that we have. It's a very complex, multi-layered relationship. But I think that is how everyone's relationship is. I think you see a lot of musicals that don't necessarily have the time due to the size of the show or or the other themes that they're trying to get across to really delve into and explore the complexities of that relationship. And I think our show does that and celebrates that. And the hope that at the end of the day, whether you choose to stay with a partner or walk away from a partner, there's still hope that you're, you're making the right decision for the here and now. And that yeah. we can think about the future and how good everything may or may not be. But we just don't know. And the world continues to evolve and the world continues to change. So live and exist and make the choice that makes you feel good and right here and now. And then you have the hope that it will all work out. So maybe during 
lockdown or as you say a sort of a general theme for the show everybody at some point has a relationship with someone whether it is a romantic relationship whether it's family whether it's friends they get tested and you get challenged from times good to sort of assess that absolutely well Stuart we have been talking about before after which is on at the Southwark Playhouse this year from the 7th of February until the 2nd of March now Stuart whilst all of this is going on we must talk about <laughs> other role and this is about the entertainment at Ingleside once again this is the Ingleside house which is in Sirencester in Gloucestershire obviously entertainment is quite broad so what kind of stuff do you program at Ingleside in your role well entertainment at Ingleside it's it's relatively new we sort of started at autumn 2021 out of the pandemic when everyone was starting to come back together and be allowed to enjoy events of some sort the sort of brief that was given to me was we've got this space attached to Ingleside House, the boutique hotel that is situated next to the Barn Theatre. But they wanted to create a new entertainment experience of some sort that didn't compete with the barn. So like we don't put on musicals, we don't put on plays, anything like that. That is up to the Barn Theatre to do. And if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So we were like, okay, so we want to try to bring in other things, which is not necessarily wasn't my forte. I'm a background in musical theatre and theatre. I love it all with a passion. But the other side of entertainment, one night events, gigs, comedy, jazz, and all of that is a, a different realm for me and a challenge that I've kind of been taking on and, and battling through and loving it and sort of thriving a little bit through it. So the idea of entertainment at Ingleside was to create that alternative entertainment to what the Barn Theatre offers, yeah. as well as include a three-course dinner with your ticket. So it's kind of a dinner entertainment rather than like a dinner theatre experience. Yeah. So we've brought in jazz and blues acts, quite a few different tribute acts. And my wife and I, Heather, we create our own acts as well. And we've done a, a couple of sort of musical theatre themed evenings, but we've also done a tribute to Carole King and James Taylor and more acoustic dissecting of artists and their work. So the plan for me was always to, okay, I need to first of all build and program events that would attract people to the venue. Like we've had a tribute to ABBA come a couple of times and they always sell out and it's a huge hit. Everybody loves it. And that helps bring the people in. So my goal as I continue to program is to create, build the audience and then bring in more unknown artists and yeah. unknown acts and hopefully pepper in a comedy night once a season, see what that might do. Or maybe there is a on the sofa with kind of evening where we interviewed uh, a celebrity on some sort. It's all early stages, but programming is about bringing as much variety as I can into the entertainment while simultaneously trying to build the business and build the audience landscape. Yeah, exactly. And like we were saying earlier on about like new musicals coming into town, Birmingham Rep as its new musical theatre outlet and new musicals are now paving their way into London and everywhere and stuff like this. And obviously, like you say, you've got the Barn Theatre, you don't want to compete with them, but they've had musicals on in the past. Obviously, they did once over the past couple of years. They had Daddy Long Legs. And I'm from Gloucester anyway, so I'm, I'm very familiar with the Barn Theatre and I go there quite a lot. <laughs> when you're looking forward to programming future stuff, do you always try and cater towards, like you were saying, the new unknown stuff? When you're trying to promote and push that stuff when they probably won't sell as well as, let's say, ABBA, do you find it quite difficult to promote stuff from like unknown artists? 
Or do you find that people are very welcoming to book and just see what the entertainment is like from these new artists that you try and get in? Well, I'll be brutally honest. I haven't managed to figure out the audience demographic for Siren Sester yet. Yeah. I take a punt on some things that I think this is a surefire hit. And I get surprised that it doesn't sell as well as something when I'm like, I don't know if this will work, but I think there's a market for it. Let's just see and let's see how it goes. And it surprises me and it sells better than other things. So I'm still sort of working it out. But we've got a really, really good marketing team that are working now. What's been really exciting is that people are buying into the experience more. They're really coming to entertainment at Ingleside. We've got a, a selection of people that book for every single event no matter what yeah which has been it's been really lovely to see the familiar faces coming back there's nothing like it in siren sester or the surrounding areas yes you can go and watch a tribute act yes you can go and have a nice dinner even in our own teatro restaurant but to be able to sit down and have a really lovely meal whether with your partner or with friends or an entire we've got like tables of eight so you can have a group outing there is this opportunity to have a really lovely time with friends sociably eat a good meal and get some high quality entertainment that is right in front of you and i think that doesn't really exist so people are really buying into that which has been really lovely to see everything is a punt you you try to kind of program what you think people would like and appreciate because you want to cater to as many different people as possible. And I don't want to alienate anyone in the areas if I don't have to. It is harder to sell an unknown artist. And sometimes you have to find a way that will resonate with people. One of my dear friends, Tom Seals, he's been with us a few times and he was one of the first acts that we brought in. And he's a boogie-woogie pianist that has played uh, with Jules Holland. He travels all over the world. He's played like the Dubai Opera House and like arenas. He's doing some really good stuff. And he's a regular at Ronnie Scott's in London. So like, if you're into that scene, probably know who he is or you might have seen him before. And he's very, very good. But in Sirencester, and rightfully so, if you're not into that scene, it's like, who's this guy that plays a piano? And so people came to his first show. Some of those people booked again for his his second one when we had him back. But I said to him, why don't we do on one night, you and I can do a Billy Joel evening and we just do Billy Joel stuff. And then the next night you can have your band and you can, can do your Tom Seals evening. Yeah. So we booked that and it was great because if you wanted to see a general boogie woogie evening you had that but the night before you also had a very specific way in i like billy joel so we sold tickets to people who like billy joel it was just a lot more creative in the way that we can bring material to people and make it accessible and then also sell and promote this unknown person so hopefully when he comes back it'll be tom seals is back let's go tom seals he was great in that billy joel evening it was something fun about collaborating with artists to figure out how do we sell this brand this product yeah absolutely well there we go Stuart we have been talking about your role in entertainment at Ingleside so Stuart we're going to move over to the final question of this podcast it's the question that we ask everybody who comes onto the podcast it is the title of this podcast that's the stagey place and what I love to ask everybody is where their stagey place is Stuart for you you've spoken a lot today about different things in your life that has happened it could be the car where you first listened to that song of Phantom <laughs> of the Opera when you were so young and you asked your parents 
what is this that I'm listening to on the radio? It could be somebody who has influenced you in the career that you are in today. It could just be that moment where you were at the Palladium and you were writing down on the back of that pre-order slip ideas that you were going to get about this musical that you were asked to write about for a Japan audience. So for you, Stuart, whereabouts is your stagey place? I think my stagey place would have to be the music office at my school, Bishop Luffer School in Chichester, where I went. And I remember being in there with my music teacher, Hugh Thomas, who had already encouraged me to audition for the National Youth Music Theatre. But he was the one that told me, don't go and study performing arts around the corner. Go to the Brit School and check it out. Because if, if he hadn't have encouraged me and I hadn't have discovered music through him and my GCSEs at that point, I don't think I ever would have really been on this path professionally. And yeah. that is the difference. So I kind of owe my whole journey to his support. So that would be my stagey place. Do you know what? We've had so many interviews recently where people have gone back to their education, to somebody who has really, you know, inspired them rather than a place that they've worked in, for example. Mm. And it is so nice to ask that question because everyone's answer is so different that's what I love about everything Like you know I can talk to somebody who works in musical theatre and I can ask them what their audience type would be for their specific show and usually it'd be kind of the same type of audience that they're expecting but when I ask that question and it's the reason why I ask it in every episode it's because people really do take themselves back to their younger years and start to realise that actually it's somebody who influenced them when they were younger to be where they are today. Yeah I think a especially in the current climate for where theatre, music and the arts as a whole lie in the education system. People have forgotten how important it is. Yes. And there's been a lot going on at the moment with regards to the post office scandal at how if it hadn't have been for theatre and yeah. film and TV and a dramatisation of that story, we may not be in a position now where the government are having to actually recognise their mistake and correct their faults. Even politically across the board, theatre is having huge impact. Yeah. And it's imperative that we keep the education system supporting everyone in, in the arts, no matter what field under the arts you, you, you want to be in. I owe my entire life to it. And I think there's a whole generation that might miss out on this experience if we don't correct it now so i absolutely agree i was on a train last week on a on a table seat and a lady was sat opposite me who i didn't know at all so i was actually editing podcast stuff on my laptop and then i closed it and then we started chatting and she started asking about what i did in the industry and then she started talking about the post office scandal and obviously mr bates on itv and the table opposite us was talking about it like half an hour before mm -hmm. we were talking about it and we were just saying about the arts, like, you know, without it, we wouldn't have had those millions of people sign that petition because people wouldn't have known about it. You know, people did know about it years ago, but it's only when you see it now dramatised on television that you realise how important the arts are. So yeah, absolutely what you just said there is incredibly important. Well, Stuart, thank you so much for joining us today. It has been an absolute joy. We have obviously been talking show-wise about Before After once again at the Southwark Playhouse from the 7th of February until the 2nd of March. But we've also been talking about entertainment at Ingleside, where we have our episode notes. We'll have links to everything that is going on in your life with Before, After and with Entertainment at Ingleside. But for now, Stuart, thank you so much for joining me today. No, thank you very much. And I uh, wish everybody a great 2024.
And there we go, that was my interview with Stuart Matthew Price, the music and lyricist behind Before After, which is at the Southwark Playhouse, plus the head organiser for entertainment at Ingleside in Sirencester. I'd just love to thank Stuart so much for coming on to the podcast, for taking his time out to talk to me about his projects. They're both incredibly exciting pieces of work that are happening right this very moment. So I really do hope that if you are interested in what we have discussed in this episode, episode then you do head over to our episode notes where you can find the hyperlinks for the tickets for before after plus a little bit more information about entertainment at Ingleside. Join us next week when I'll have Simon Mull, the writer and poet behind the great big dinosaur show which is currently on a UK tour. If you've enjoyed what you've listened to here on the Stagey Place and want to check us out further, you can follow us on Instagram, X and TikTok at the Stagey Place. And until you join us next time here on the podcast, I hope you're keeping safe and staying stagey. Goodbye. <laughs>